Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have been have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one and only Dan Z. We're recording this on Wednesday, July 8th. Um, it's roughly the temperature you bake cookies at here in New Hampshire. How, what's going on there weather-wise, Dan? It's, uh, it's warm. It's humid. It's, it's the times I don't love living in Illinois because the humidity here is, you wouldn't think it's bad, but it's pretty bad. Although today we had a, a, a cool spell of about 93 degrees. <laughs> okay. All right. You win. <laughs> you know, I don't think we, have, I think we're making it to 93 tomorrow. I think we're getting your weather tomorrow. So, oh, good. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, all right. So it is now six months and 19 days, but who's counting? Um, uh, since Star Wars episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker opened in theaters. Um, and Dan, does it surprise you that, you know, here we are, you know, uh, you know, in a time traditionally, you know, after a Star Wars film comes out. Where, you know, people are watching a Blu-ray, you know, DVD, that sort of thing, you know, talking it up. And there just seems to be so little chatter now about this J.J. Abrams movie, except, of course, that ridiculous rumor that, that broke, you know, what, last week about how Disney is now going to erase and reboot the, the, the most recent trilogy. Um, you know, that, that's not going to happen. No. Now, it, why would anyone think that would actually happen? It's not... The amount, the billions and billions of dollars spent and made over these movies, and whether you like them or not, they're made. I mean, there are plenty of things that I don't like that have been made, but you know, you can't unmake them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these these movies are here to stay, buddy. And I think for the most part, people are okay with it. But uh, you know what it reminds me of, Jim? It reminds me of when the Last Jedi came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, now that, that was followed, you know, shortly after by Solo six months later. But even before mm-hmm. that, even before the the press. Uh, engine for solo started to go downhill mm-hmm. the last jedi kind of faded away i think do you feel like this is kind of a sign of the times we're in well, just like I, how things fall out of i mean even hamilton's still you know very popular but even that is starting to die down a little bit after a couple of days well i'm but i think you you bring up an interesting point we live you know face it when when star wars the initial you know a new hope came out in 77 you know there there was literally only one way to watch this you could go to the movies mm-hmm. and you know uh you know and in fact you know six months in you know star wars was still out in theaters i mean not doing the business that it did you know the start of the summer of 77 and certainly wasn't as in as many theaters but it was continuing to play whereas now i mean well, I, especially in our our, our COVID nineteen world, where no movie theaters are open, so where are we watching these things? We're watching them on our laptops or our flat screens at home, or on our phones. And you know, I just for me, it would just I feel bad for the guys who labored, you know, like crazy to finish the effects in time for uh you know the the uh, you know the rise of skywalker only to you know that, that somebody sitting at home watching you know these you know that that what the battle with the the, the thousand uh you know uh, 
you know, Star Destroyers, you know, on, on their phone. You know, so it's like, oh, yeah, I, I can see every detail you crammed into the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for me, I guess what I find fascinating is that no one seems to be talking about Rise of Skywalker right now, but everybody is talking about the Mandalorian. Yep. I mean, always um, the, it's always the next thing. But this one's got a lot of buzz because of some exciting news. Well, yeah. Now, uh, can you talk about the the publishing effort? Because that, to me, suggests that, you know, face it, the folks at Lucasfilm, the folks at Star Wars, this is not a one-shot deal. You know, that there is, you know, they have decided, you know, we're, we're getting behind this, you know, Star Wars television series in a big way. Yes, and there, since there are no movies... Mm-hmm. You know that we know of officially titles, directors, anything. Mm-hmm. This this is their next big push, and it's definitely going to get us by until we get to the movies. And it, it is kind of weird not having a movie to get excited or hyped for because we haven't had that since what two thousand and what fourteen or so when or thirteen whenever the when was when was the acquisition was it two thousand twelve? Yes, uh, yes. Uh, you know, I I, I want to say September that year. Is it yeah, uh, September or October? Yeah. And 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 we had so we've had you know from 2012 till now to be excited mm-hmm. for movies, but now we don't. But we know for sure we've got the Mandalorian coming, and they announced this huge thing on StarWars.com about the different publishing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got novels, we've got junior novelization, we've got a lot of fun things coming. Mm-hmm. And and I, I have to tell you, I hear more often from Amazon in regard to the art of the Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it'll be in September. I promise. You know, it's just, oh, okay. All right. You know, I'm patient. I can wait. Ironic um, that we just talked about art of books and how they always seem to take so long. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now we've got another one. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, genuinely looking forward to this, especially on the heels of uh, Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. But yes. I guess, in a weird sort of way, you know, if you think about it, yes. Uh, you know, the rise of Skywalker is in the rearview mirror, but we've already had. A pretty stunning year, uh, you know, so far when it comes to Star Wars. I mean, we, we finished out uh, the Clone Wars with, you know, uh, you know, the the final season with some some epically strong stories there. You know, incredibly well told. Uh, likewise, you know, you know the weird. I, I, in fact, you and I talked about this. That I, I, as much as I enjoyed the actual first season of The Mandalorian. I I think I I actually like the Disney Gallery Mandalorian more because of the way it popped the hood and how we got to meet the personalities of of these folks who were making it and you know their you know the the the, the wonderful cutting edge tech uh, coupled with the you know the interesting storytelling choices and uh and but you know the, the, the kicker was just this week uh i could did you get the press release for the the mandalorian serial um no i did not i'm just uh, uh... <laughs> okay well I did the, 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 you know here's the thing uh the mandalorian child serial and in fact it it you know i i guess realistically if they were being truthful here they would have had a picture on the uh, the box of the, you know the the child with a little bowl of bro- bone broth, but no, he's he's there <laughs> with a bowl full of fruity <laughs> flavored cereal with baby Yoda shaped marshmallows. Uh, and this, and, of course, is canon. Yeah, well, like evidently, you know. Uh, <laughs> but but here's the thing: it 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 it's due to arrive in stores in August. However, if you cannot wait, 
Um, Sam's Club will have the bulk size double box, which will be arriving in the middle of this month. So, I mean, if if you just cannot wait to get that, you know, that that morning surge of diabetes, you know, That's th- right. this, you know, I get you know, till August, you know, head the Sam's Club. Uh, middle of this month, you can pick up on this, but just like that, Sam's comes in and whisks away all our worries. Isn't that nice? Yeah, um, yeah. let's go back real quick to the publishing thing. Um, yep. one thing we know for sure is we've got an original novel by Adam Christopher. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything about it, we don't know the title, we don't even have a cover, we just know that it says that's coming out in December, mm-hmm. right? We've got a junior novelization, we've got some younger reader books, and then we've got some news of things from Marvel and IDW, which we don't have any details on. Hopefully. Maybe we'll see something about this for the virtual San Diego Comic-Con, which they asked me to register as a member of the press virtually, so I did. But I'm not really sure how what that entails or what that's going to look like, but I guess we'll find out. I get Well, it's nice to hear I'll have somebody to hang out with virtually in the that's press right. room. I, I, I did the exact same thing, but it just, you know, um, I, yeah, it, 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 I think that's the thing that, you know, in the fine... You know, San Diego Comic Con tradition. Remember how you'd be what only ten days out, and they'd finally reveal the programming. Oh yeah, you know. So oh, yeah. you you know you could only like ten days out start to make a plan for the event. And and again, you know that that's the old cliche that if you want to make God laugh, make a plan. Uh, uh-huh. That was you know the thing with San Diego Comic Con is like literally okay. So when I can't get into that panel. The panel I'll try to get into is this panel, but I won't be able to get into that panel. So, you know, at the, you know, I always had to stack them like five deep, you know, with the notion of, you know, if I can persuade somebody to get me a press pass so I can get in the back door. You know, and Comic-Con's can... the worst for that because you they don't kick anybody out. So you can literally park oh, at yeah, the beginning the for the Hello Kitty, you know, Pez dispenser yeah. panel. And then you have to w- wait six hours for the Dave Filoni panel. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, but that again, that's what you know. It's the old, the you know, the old joke about the black hole of Calcutta. Why do you go there? Well, that's where the diamonds are, and and you know, yeah. I mean, I, you know, and the very thing you talk about, there, there were some times when it's like, this is a panel I absolutely have to attend, and it's at three o'clock in the afternoon, and that's why I'm in line to get into this room at yeah. ten o'clock. You know, and so, I meant no offense to Drew Taylor, who I know is a big Hello Kitty fan. <laughs> Oh, do not poke the bear. <laughs> um, all right. Anyway, um, I, now we were just talking about Comic-Con, which makes me think of uh, Star Wars Celebration back in April of last year at McCormick Place. And, of course, you were all over that. And you know, um, I, I have to ask, what, you were there at that event, okay? And mm-hmm. face it, the, the big things that people were talking about were, uh, you know, obviously Rise of Skywalker. In fact, you know, I, I remember you talking about that panel and, and you know, with the laugh that came at the end and, the, the, you know, the reaction that the crowd had, you know. And, and then, of course, when Ian actually comes out on stage, everybody loses their mind. Oh, yes. You know, um, but I think about it. Going into that event, you know, obviously – in the primary news position was, you know, episode nine. Uh, I, I'd argue behind that was uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge because, you know, we, we, we you know, we're a few months out from that opening. And Mandalorian was kind of a distant third, don't you think? I, it was for me because although the 
they showed about ooh, seven, eight minutes of footage of basically the Mandalorian meeting the client mm-hmm. uh, and encountering the stormtroopers and arranging sort of the transaction. Mm-hmm. So there was really no context for it. You got a definite feel for the tone, but you mm-hmm. weren't allowed to do anything with video or anything of that nature. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think so. Although a lot of people were really buzzing for it. I was super happy about the the Galaxy's Edge panel because it had about a, a 10 minute original video just for the event that was featured Josh Gad trying to sneak into Galaxy's Edge. Uh, okay. And of course your buddy who, you know, you guys were just brilliant with him on uh, recent fine tuning, which was such kudos to you, by the way, that was just a wonderful well, show. No, no, that, that was totally Drew. Drew, you know, it's it, it, again, when you listen to, you know, I, I, I'm as gobsmacked as I am for the first minute or two. Cause again, I, you know, I'm sitting there you know, working with Drew and then suddenly here's Josh Gad and it's like, okay. You know, and, and I would love to hear the audio uh, of that. I'll have to talk to Aaron. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But um, now I, I want to put something out there now. I just, you know, because mm-hmm. um, in fact it, it speaks volumes about how important the Mandalorian is right now for the Walt Disney Company, um, you know, and, you know. It, so we, you know, for months now we've been watching movies getting their release dates pushed back, you know, and you know the, and the the question is what's going to get people back into theaters? Uh, as of right now, it looks like the first Disney movie that will be released in theaters. Uh, it'll be on August twenty first. And finally, the live-action reboot of Milan uh, will, you know, come out in you know in theaters at that point. But Disney, Disney's concerned it's going to take something extra special to get people back into theaters. And mm-hmm. just today, I heard something genuinely wild. But some it gives you some idea how important the Mandalorian is right now to the Walt Disney Company. Supposedly, the plan is that. For the first week to 10 days that Mulan is in theaters, in front of it will be, they, I don't think they've decided whether or not it's a, it's a trailer or it's a scene from season two of The Mandalorian. But the idea is the only way you get to see this, Dan, is you have to go to a theater to see Mulan. And then only after 10 days will this piece of material then pop up online. That would be and, kind of awesome if that happened. Although it's tricky because then you run into the, as it say, it's going to theaters yet. Like maybe they're just gambling that it will be. Well, you know, just you know, for me, this just seems like, you know, in a, a weird kind of way. Remember, was it November of '98, uh, where what was it? Meet Joe Black. Uh, that the, the one thing. and the water boy both before before both there of you them. go but yeah, yeah i mean that was the thing it, the only way you got to see the trailer for you know episode one phantom menace was you had to go to the theater to see this so and um, i did that by the way did you really of course okay. oh yeah i had to see it yeah <laughs> well okay um uh, but yeah that that I, I i guess and for me it's just it's just fascinating that you know, we will have Star Wars back in theaters, mind you. It's, you know, this, you know, Star Wars television series. Uh, but beyond that, we then have to wait all the way till December 16th, 2022, which is when this yet to be named uh, Star Wars movie comes out. And 
what's kind of interesting is what precedes that in July of that same year, 2022, is uh, Captain Marvel 2 with Brie Larson. And um, I, did you see the interview earlier this week where she was talking about all of the franchises she had tried out for before getting Captain Marvel? You're talking about uh, YouTube star Brie Larson, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why, yes, yes. You know, She's starting because that's channel. the happening place right now. Again, you know, that's YouTube. Right. That's right. Uh, no, it's fascinating. Please share because I think it's a pretty awesome, pretty wild. Well, she talks about. She said, "Look, I, I auditioned for Star Wars. Uh, I auditioned for the Hunger Games. I auditioned for the Terminator reboot. Said I was actually thinking about the Terminator reboot today because I got a flat tire and it was like, oh, the last time I got a flat tire." was when I was driving to my audition for the Terminator. Uh, got a flat tire at the audition and then didn't get the job. Um, so, you know, again, for me, I know we've talked on, on earlier shows where, you know, it's like Jodie Foster versus, uh, you know, Carrie Fisher for, for Princess Leia. But it's like, so what do you think? Were they considering... Brie for Ray, or are we talking? I would I almost know. think maybe the title character in Rogue One, wouldn't you? That's or? that would pop into my brain as well. Yeah, yeah. So because she's obviously an Oscar winner and a big talent, and you'd want to feature in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just think you know, but but for me, you know, I, again, it's just the notion of we've got these you know performers that are associated with Marvel that are now, you know, talking about getting into the Star Wars world. In fact, there was that, that wonderful interview that the Russo brothers just did uh, with comicbook.com about, you know, uh, you know, they, face it, they're off doing their own thing now. They've, they've wrapped up, you know, Endgame, Endgame and Infinity War. Uh, but, you know, they, they were talking about, well, what would get you back to Disney? And it's like, and it's Star Wars, you know. And, and so Joe talked about how, uh, you know, I love the sandbox that Favreau is playing in right now. So again, once we're back, you know, we're back to Mandalorian and the time frame that he's exploring the Star Wars universe. And it's like, uh, I mean, obviously it was hugely important to us as kids and hugely important to our desire to become filmmakers. Uh, but then he said, I don't think, you know, I don't know if there's a particular character that we want to work with. I think there's a lot of stories that have been told that started in the original universe. I'd be interested in seeing completely different directions of the story, maybe new characters in a different time period, that could be really interesting. And so you hear that, Dan, and you have to be thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Uh, that's High Republic, isn't it? It certainly seems like one possibility, I would say. Mm -hmm. But my goodness, I mean, there, there are so many people that are, you know, supposedly working on these things. Um, I just am looking forward to getting some actual you know, something locked in so that we can actually do that. Cause remember for, I mean, gosh, before the, the, the news of you and McGregor and being on Disney plus for Obi-Wan, which I wonder mm -hmm. how things are going with that. Um, it was rumored they had a director lined up for a movie for that too. They did. They did. I want to say Stephen Daltrey. That sounds uh, right. Yeah. And, and let's not forget that supposedly, you know, Mr. Marvel himself, Kevin Feige, yeah, uh, is supposedly working on a Star Wars project. So exactly. I, I guess it, in a weird sort of way, again, um, you know, in fact, that's the other thing that just amuses me about this. You know, they're going to redo that, the, the most recent trilogy thing. It's like you have 
all these people, you know, lined up, you know, why would you have them then and, and redo the movie we just did? Because we didn't get it right. And that makes um, no sense. I mean, it's it's just laughable. And they all made over a billion dollars. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, because those are the movies you want to remake. You know, it's just like, you know. Um, well, anyway, uh, tell you what, folks. Uh, give Dan and here guy a second here, and we're going to come back and talk, um, oddly enough, about how Splash Mountain is potentially going to impact Galaxy's Edge. And we're back. Um, okay, so, Dan, you saw the story in, in the past week about the Splash Mountain Princess of the Frog redo, right? I did, and I love it. I think it's really, really cool. It's definitely time to uh, turn the page and give this thing uh, a different look. Yeah, um, and you're not wrong. You're not wrong, but, but uh, you know, they, I, again, I've been, I've been working the phones this week. Uh, I and can't I have even to... imagine the conversations you've had. Well, let's start with the, with the guys who have just literally just finished, you know, uh, getting uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge open, especially the folks uh, for Disneyland. And, you know, they're, I'm not going to say not necessarily enthusiastic about this idea. Uh, they're just concerned, you know, they have this brand new land that they have literally just completed. I mean, think about it, you know, that, that you know, all of the issues they had with, uh, you know, Rise of the Resistance, uh, you know, getting that, you know, it, it, to operate the way it was supposed to. And now, you know, here's this project. Um, and I, I, I want to stress here that in Florida, they're just talking about redoing um splash mountain with this princess of the frog theme you might see the train station which you know cozies up on splash mountain get a new orleans themed overlay uh but that's pretty much it it's you know going to be a standalone whereas in anaheim they are giving some very serious thought to critter country becoming basically an entire princess and the frog land wow uh with you know, with the ride and a Tiana meet and greet and a restaurant component uh, and you know a, a fairly big retail presence. I mean that that you know they're, they're really talking about leaning into this. So and, really, kind of taking them, uh, like not even redoing Splash Mountain, but like that whole section of the park. That would be huge. My goodness. Well, it it would be, but but here's the thing. Um, it, it, Right in front, uh, you know, that, that that there's a good portion of humanity when they're in Disneyland that is walking through Critter Country on mm. their way to the ruins section of Black Spire Outpost. Oh, sure. uh, so, so they can then experience Rise of the Resistance. And, the you know, a, a couple of things. First and foremost, uh, there's a number of Imagineers who are already talking about visual intrusion. Uh, because Splash Mountain itself is already, uh, I want to say, 89 feet tall. And if you've seen the concept art at all for the Princess and the Frog Ride, uh, they're extending the, the top of Chickapin Hill. They're going to build a, a copy of Mama Odie's boat. They're going to build a larger tree for, you know, to, to properly seat the, the boat. 
and and here's the thing the um the tallest spire in black spire outpost dan is 130 feet tall that's it and the forest that they planted around uh the ruins uh with the with the a-wing and the the x-wing there you know in it's sort of the extended queue i mean face it the trees there will grow you know over time this is necessarily going to be an issue but the concern is that you know if the the current timetable holds that uh, you know uh, you know they're looking to shut down the attraction i guess in 2022 and then uh, have this redo of princess the frog open for 2024 more likely 2025 that's the uh the 70th anniversary of, of disneyland's opening um you know just the whole notion is that if you're standing in star wars land and you could see a tree with a boat sticking out out of it that that might take you out of you know the your uh your highly you know immersive star wars experience i will uh, say that when i was at Disneyland and Galaxy's Edge. One of the first time I was there for the media mm-hmm. preview, yep. I stood over by Critter Country and and that area, and I stood there and I listened and I looked mm-hmm. and I marveled at how I knew how close I was to everything else, but I couldn't see or hear or sense anything. Mm-hmm. And it, that does create kind of a a, a unique mystique to Galaxy's mm-hmm. Edge that I that I don't want them to lose, but I don't want them to, you know, do anything to not give this new princess in the frogland everything it deserves, but hopefully just make it not as tall. Well, you know, I, I, again, you know, the, we are very, very much still in the blue stay or blue sky concept phase of this. Um, in a weird sort of way, they did catch a break because, you know, face it, if we're talking about the Disney's Hollywood studio version of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, there's only one way in and, uh, you know, or, you know, one way in, one way out. There's, yeah, pretty uh, much. You know, I mean, you you have the Grand Avenue entrance over by uh, the Muppets, or you could come mm-hmm. in from the side uh, by Toy Story Land. And yep. you know, the interesting thing for Disneyland, they actually built it with the three entrances. There's the entrance up by where Big Thunder Ranch used to be. There's the sort of the midpoint entrance uh, that's halfway down Big Thunder Trail, and then of course the one the side by Critter Country. So um, if the critter countryside has to close uh while they're doing all this work to change it over you know splash over to princess the frog ride uh they at least have those two other entrances so you know that that in theory it won't have that big an impact um but yeah it's it's long story short folks there's some interesting moving parts here and and the star wars guys really just wanted galaxy's edge to to have its it's time in the spotlight and it looks like that's that time may have already passed with, you know, now, you know, folks are shifting, uh, you know, from the top down. I mean, it's Bob Weiss himself who's talking about, uh, this princess and the frog ride. Now, will um, that, will that impact the, the, the conversations that we've had over the past year about them opening up a restaurant in galaxy's edge? Uh, you know, um, seems like it probably would, but I don't know. It, it's so interesting you bring that up because, um, you know, we are, as we, re- again, we are recording this on the 8th, uh, a week from today, uh, you know, will be the first day of operation of Disney's Hollywood Studios. Uh, and this will be the first time that that 
theme parks, Galaxy's Edge will be open to the public since mid-March. Only this is the new version of Black Spire Outpost that has to figure out somehow to accommodate uh, social distancing. And, uh, you know, I just, I I genuinely feel for the Imagineers. I mean, you and I talked about this, about how, you know, they... They went to, you know, the marketplaces of Morocco and the port cities to get those nice, tight little alleys that curved that you went down and discovered things. And um, that's just not conducive to social distancing. Um, and, you know, and, and, and in fact, we, we were just pre-gaming the show tonight talking about how, you know, we're getting so many mixed messages in regard to uh you know to galaxy's edge like do do you want to talk about olga's cantina yeah so when governor desantis said that all bars were closed down Mm -hmm. um olga's was shut down but also olga's is not exactly huge i mean it's 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 spacious enough for what it is but it's a very intimate place so you it's really hard to social distance in there and the majority of what they have is pretty much alcohol based so yeah. then on July 4th, there was a story on Jedi News that mm-hmm. it was open again. Mm-hmm. But then we heard that it was actually not because of what the governor had said. So prior to recording tonight, I hopped on to um, my Disney experience uh, and I put in July 18th, which is, of course, you know, just a week and a half away. Mm-hmm. I put lunch for two for Jim and I just to see what <laughs> happened. And I was able to book a time for 2.05 p.m., and that's today as we're recording this. So who knows what's going on? Maybe yeah. Olga's having some fun with us. Well, I, I the one thing I have heard, and I, I just want to put this out there, because it, it's, the other thing, frankly, like, I want to get across here is uh, Len was in the Magic Kingdom yesterday for the cast member preview that, that, and talked about how uh, you know, Disney was being very flu. This is the you know they had all these plans in place, but this is the first time they were putting these plans in motion with large groups of people, and they were learning, uh, you know, on the fly what worked and what didn't. And to Disney's credit, they were constantly adjusting these plans as they went along. And I want to caution folks that this is maybe the exact same situation we'll be dealing with. Hmm. With Oga's Cantina, uh, in fact, uh, you know the, the the notion being that okay, the bars are closed in Florida, but does that mean that we can't serve non-alcoholic drinks? And you know, you know, and would people be willing to go into Oga's Cantina and drink a non-alcoholic drink just to enjoy the atmosphere? You know, in turn. Um, you know, think about the blue and green milk that they now sell in the marketplace where you have the option of you could have it plain or you, they can throw a shot of rum into it. And, you know, is this going to be the same situation that because the bars are closed in Florida that, you know, you can serve beverages as long as they're not non, you know, not, they're not alcoholic beverages. So, um, I, I guess long story short here, uh, if you're going down to Disney during this period, uh, you should anticipate that, that things will be changing on a pretty regular basis. And you're just, you're going to have to roll with the punches. And 
on the other hand, I, uh, Dan and I would love to hear, uh, you know, yeah. especially from you, uh, Black Spire Outpost veterans, uh, how the social distance version of this part of that theme park works. It's um, going to be interesting. And I will say that based on uh, the previous stuff and what I've seen and read and heard from you guys and mm-hmm. and Len and everything, it seems like they're doing a, a pretty spectacular job under really, really difficult circumstances so far to just yeah, kind of make yeah, things happen. I, but, you know, but at the same time, I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm a pragmatist. And, I, you know, face it, theme parks are are built, you know, designed from, from day one to accommodate tens of thousands of people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the whole notion of, you know, how does this business now work when you can only have 10, 20, 30% of your normal crowd inside of, you know, a place like this? Um, you know, I mean, I, I, it's like the, um, the lightsaber experience, the, uh, Savvy's, Savvy's, yeah. Savvy Salvage. Um, Savvy's workshop. Yeah. Uh, Savvy's workshop. Excuse me. Um, how does that now work? Because face it, anybody who's participated in, you know, building their own lightsaber or seen videos of it, there is that wonderful moment where how many people at a time get to do this? 12, 15? Something uh, like that? Let me think about this. Probably 12 to 15. Yeah, that one, that's not even open just because they just can't. Well, you know, you know again, you just between the tightness of the space, a uh, couple, but but at the same time, there's that lovely moment when everybody has their lightsaber and they raise them up in the room, and oh yeah, um, you know that just the sheer theatrics of that aren't going to work no, if you cut the capacity of the room down to to half or, or a third, or for that matter, you know, think about the the droid depot. Where, you know, when you're in there, you know, everybody's scrambling for parts as they move along, you know, and you want to talk about a high touch experience, you know, people are grabbing parts, look, you know, off of the conveyor belt, looking at them, going, no, I'm not, I don't want that one for my droid. Um, you know, that goes away too. Um, I, you know, again, I just, I'm going to be fascinated to hear from folks about, uh, you know, how they feel about this uh, going forward and, and if they, um, if they, if they feel it's successful, they they still feel that it's worth their time. Um, and and oh, by the way, I guess as if as long as we're talking Disney and and um, Star Wars, uh, one of the other projects I was poking at and calling friends and trying to get an update on uh, was the Star Wars Intergalactic Star Cruiser Boutique Hotel. Oh yeah, um, I'd, I'd love to know what's going on with that. They are continuing to work on it. They are, um, you know, pressing forward with, com- you know, com- completion of construction. Uh, the question now is, when does it open? Uh, you know, do do they open it in the middle of this whole COVID nineteen thing? Uh, you know, which is now anticipated to to go into two thousand twenty one, or would it make sense to effectively complete construction and then hold the hotel back to open it in say 2022. Um, this is one of the many decisions that, that's, that's being discussed right now within the company. It's just the whole notion of, uh, you know, it's the old cliche that you only get one chance to make a first impression. 
And they're probably worried about, you know, I mean, the financial where people are at financially and will people be willing to take that? I mean, I mean, heck, I still want to do it, of course. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't I don't know. It's 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 a really tricky one. And like you're just saying, you you want to make your first impression. You want to do it uninhibited. I'm assuming that what happens in the intergalactic star cruiser is going to require things that will be so fun that they might be more fun after we have a vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, yeah. it just makes sense. I, I, Who knows? I, I, again, so it's so a long story short, folks. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot of half answers for you today. And hopefully on, yeah. on future shows, we can get a little bit more definitive. Speaking of answers, though, um, I, you know, I, I, I had a, a listener, uh, Ricky, uh, who, who, who loves looking at Lucasfilm, by the way. But uh, evidently, he has um, family who worked at 20th Century Fox back in the early 70s. And we, we did that story about the uh, the folks out in front of uh, the Chinese theater surveying people, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, on Hollywood Boulevard about what they thought of the name Star yeah. Wars when it came to you know, the possibility of a, a you know, a, a film that the studio might make. And Ricky volunteered that there was another aspect that impacted the um uh the survey and in fact evidently this came up in the boardroom at 20th century fox when alan ladd was trying to get folks to sign off on it um and evidently people you know it was one of the written in answers as opposed to the actual survey it said they said that they felt that star wars was too close in an in, in a name sense to star trek and that, you know, so it, Star Wars, you mean like with Captain Kirk and Spock? Is this who, who's going to be in this movie? <laughs> and, um, you know, it just, it, I guess this would have been the first official time that, the, you know, the destinies of Star Wars and Star Trek were, were interwoven. Yeah. Uh, but it certainly wouldn't be the last. Um, so I, I guess this brings me to, uh, you know, my first question so, Dan, are you, in addition to your obvious love and depth of knowledge uh, for Star Wars, are are you also a Trekker? Are you also a fan of, of Star Trek? You know, honestly, I'm ambivalent to Star Trek. I I know supposedly there's some rivalry, but I I don't know that I've ever met anyone who actually had a rivalry. I I like the original series, uh, mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine, or not Deep Space Nine, but the Next Generation. I thought was cool, but I never really got into it. I read a couple of the novels, including one written by William Shatner. So mm-hmm. I, I've always sort of enjoyed it, but it was always more of just sort of a when when there's not another thing going on in the world that I'm excited about, Star Wars wise or superhero wise or whatever wise. Mm-hmm. So I'm certainly not opposed to it, but I, I haven't watched the new Star Trek anything since probably the movie where uh, Kirk was killed. That's how long it's been. Okay, so Star Trek Generations. Um, yeah. What what's genuinely interesting about the Star Wars Star Trek, uh, and it's not a rivalry. I mean, you know, they they have yeah. their fan bases, and you know, they, there there were a few of us who have a foot in both worlds. I I have to admit, I enjoy both. That's um, great. You know, and again, I'm old enough to have seen the original Star Trek t- a TV series in real time. I you know, I in fact, I remember uh, it was a very big deal that my parents would allow my brother Bob and I to stay up and watch Star Trek in its third season when NBC moved it to the death slot. 
Oh, wow. Was, yeah. Which was at Friday at 10 o'clock. And it was the whole notion of, all right, we'll let you boys stay up till 10 o'clock on Friday. Well, the cartoon uh, was cool. And I, and I had the Star Wars Mego action figures mm-hmm, way back mm-hmm. in the day, too. Well, but 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 here's the thing that that it wasn't honestly until, you know, that the show goes off the air. It, it, it gets canceled after three seasons uh, in February of, uh, you know, of, of 1969. But starting that spring, uh, Paramount, the, the Paramount television system, uh, you know, Paramount television announces that they're going to make uh, Star Trek available for syndication starting in March of, of you know, the, the, they make the announcement in, in March, it will be available to starts showing in syndication in September of that same year, 1969. And a number of big television stations around the country uh, you know, like WGN in Chicago, uh, sure. you know, uh, likewise, uh, you know, w, uh, you know, one of the syndicated stations in Boston, WKGB, uh, LA's KECOP, uh, they took a flyer on the show and it turns out, um, it did crazy ratings. Uh, you know, that, that it, in fact, they, they reported in February of 1970. I mean, the show's only been airing in syndication. For a couple of months at this point, but you know, compared to how that time slot had previously done, uh, for example, in the New York market, Star Trek performed ninety-six percent better than a show in that slot previously. L.A. seventy-seven percent, Chicago forty percent, but still, you know, up there. And so, as you mentioned, they, you know, they did on the heels of this success, um, they put a Star Trek series in animated series into production. For NBC on Saturday mornings, it, it ran September seventy three to October seventy four. Only twenty two episodes total of, you know, and that's two seasons worth of episodes. Um, but you know, but Paramount is sitting there looking at like, wow, we killed the golden goose. But you know, syndication is showing us there's really a market out there. There's really a hunger for this. So. Um, you mentioned uh, Star Trek Next Generation and how, you know, you, 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 you watched that when, you know, that launched in syndication, um, I want to say 87, 88? That sounds um, right. Yeah, 87, okay. 88. Yeah. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. Back in, in the mid-70s, Paramount wanted to launch its own television network. Uh, and in fact, uh, what they decided to do is, given how popular Star Trek had proven to be in syndication, that they were going to put the show back into production. They 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 were going to do a show called Star Trek Phase Two, and the idea was that this was the second set of you know the five year voyage of the Enterprise, and um, you know the, the plan was that. Um, you know, they, they were, uh, were going to launch it in the fall of 77 uh, with a two-hour-long premiere uh, and then 13 episodes, additional 13 episodes for the first season. Uh, but again, this this is, you know, so, you know, they're building the sets, they're writing the scripts, uh, and, you know, uh, but, but here's the interesting thing. They, they announced the launch of the uh, Paramount television system in June of 77. Uh, and just a few weeks after a certain film opened in theaters, 
And, and, you know, and here's Michael Eisner, who at that time was not in charge of Disney. He was in charge of, of Paramount. And, you know, so, you know, and Star Wars box office builds in May into June and then June into July. And then it becomes the first film ever to sell $100 million worth of tickets in theatrical release. And, you know, and, and it's this point that, you know, Eisner turns to the people who are actually working on the television series and goes, stop. You know, we're no longer making Star Trek Phase Two, the television series. We are making Star Trek the motion picture, because look at all the money the 20th Century Fox is making from that Star Wars movie. Um, so, you know, that it doesn't mind you. It doesn't get officially announced till uh, March of 1978, and that was actually because they couldn't get Leonard Nimoy to agree to return. Um, to play Spock until literally, I want to say the week before, um, you know, that, that basically Eisner sent Jeffrey Katzenberg to New York where, uh, Leonard Nimoy is appearing on Broadway in Equus. And, you know, so basically Jeffrey's planted himself in Nimoy's dressing room, uh, you know, backstage at, at the, at the theater. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? We need you for, for Star Trek the motion picture. What do you want? And, you know, eventually they came to terms and he came back and made the movie, uh, which which came out in December of, uh, of 79. Uh, wasn't all that good. Uh, in fact, I, I think for me, the supreme irony is that, you know, whenever people talk about both the Star Wars and the Star Trek film series, they they always cite the second film in the series as being the very best one. Um, yeah, that's fact, true, and they're also usually the darkest one too. Yeah, yeah, and, and in fact, I, I I wanted to ask: Did you see that wonderful piece um, that uh, StarWars.com just did about Ben Birds? I did. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I, I I love you know where he chased down you know the, the the various noises for Empire. I mean that great story about the bathtub full of raccoons, uh, <laughs> or for that matter, letting the chimpanzees loose in that poor man's office just to get the, you know. Um, well, all right. Anyway, um, I, and again, just to, to give you some idea of how how they continue to, to inter, uh, intertwine. Um, January of nineteen eighty seven, uh, we get our first theme park attraction based on one of these franchises we get star tours opening at disneyland the very next year at universal studios hollywood we get the star trek adventure um have, have you ever seen any footage of that dan or no i always i always thought it would be cool to see but i never got to yeah it's what's kind of interesting is that people would volunteer to be in this uh this this film show uh, you know and um, they would dress them backstage in the uniforms from, uh, you know, uh, uh, from Wrath of Khan, from Search to, uh, to Spock, and put them on stage. And, you know, the interesting thing is that you could actually buy a video of your performance as you left. Um, it's amazing. But, you know, we, um, we were just talking about Star Wars. Uh, Galaxy's Edge, which of course Disneyland version opened in May of last year, and the Disney World version opened in August. But uh, a lot of people, for, you know, these days forget about 
Star Trek the experience, the um, uh, the Vegas, you know, at the the Las Vegas Hilton, where you literally got beamed aboard the the Enterprise. They had um, this wonderful bit of stagecraft where. You ever heard of the about the opening moment of, of the Vegas show? No. Oh, it it you know they got a master illusionist, uh, you know, to help out with this. And and given that the attractions closed, I don't necessarily feel bad about spoiling this illusion. But um, basically, the way your um, your visit to the Star Trek experience starts off. Um, you're in what appears to be, you know, a museum of props from the Star Trek films and the Star Trek television series. And there's costumes behind glass and you ship props and, you know, you know, they, they, they hand props from the, uh, you know, and, you know, but you're in this rather large room, uh, you know, looking at this material and there are video screens in the room playing that suddenly fuzz. And you see, you know, someone who appears to be a crew member of the Enterprise who, who talks for your second and hang on. And the lights in the room suddenly go ridiculously bright. Uh, and then the room suddenly goes completely dark. And when the lights come back up on, uh, back on, you're on the tr a transporter pad on the Enterprise and you haven't moved. And it's like, how did they do that? And the, the ingenious thing they did is that in the ceiling overhead of the, the, the museum space was a replica of the, um, the transporter room on a gimbal. And what they did is that the ceiling pulled back and they lowered, uh, rapidly lowered, mind you, uh, the 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 walls of the transporter room around you. So when you your eyes adjusted to the lights coming back up, the museum is gone. You're on the transporter pad, and you have the crew member that you just saw quickly ushering you out of the room. So you 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 don't have a, a you know a moment to put together the wait a minute this room was lowered down around me, and they they send you off. You're suddenly in a corridor of the Enterprise and. You're on the, your way to the bridge, um, but you know, again, we were just talking about uh, Oga's Cantina. Um, you know, a full, jeez, uh, twenty years before that, you could go to Quark's Bar at Star Trek: The Experience and sit there and drink blue rum and ale. Um, so, I. Again, you know, just for me, what was interesting was to watch the two franchises sort of pass the baton back and forth. I would say, who got to be first? Who got to uh, make breakthroughs? And uh, and you know, <laughs> we were just talking about uh, Wrath of Khan. Uh, that was one of the only moments where the two franchises actually lined up because um, they wanted to be sure that the effects for the second. Uh, you know, Star Trek film were, you know, particularly spectacular. And, uh, and, and at that point in, you know, in Hollywood, there was only one place you went when you wanted truly spectacular effects. And that was ILM. Um, and, and they delivered, you know, you know, that in fact, you know, to, to bring Disney in yet again, uh, you know, I'm sure you remember from, from Wrath of Khan, 
the the Genesis effect, the you know the planet transformation scene, yeah. uh, which was done, you know, by ILM's Pixar division. <laughs> wow! You know, before George sold it off and it became its own company. Um, but yeah, to, to sort of bring the story full full circle, I remember you know that there there was never supposed to be a Star Trek the motion picture. There was always supposed to be Star Trek Phase Two, which was going to launch the you know the Paramount Television Network and uh, didn't happen in seventy seven, uh, but it did happen in uh, nineteen ninety five. That's when UPN launched, and as part of the launch of that, that's where we got Star Trek Voyager. So. Um, so well, Ricky, anyway. that was thanks for suggesting that. That was super cool, and thanks for supporting the show. Yeah, yeah, I you know just you know, but again, I just I love that you know to bring this full circle. That it's like, oh, Star Wars. So you're making a movie with Kirk and Spock. Wow, that'll be cool. So um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, speaking of, of of cool things, stuff that I've certainly been enjoying. Dan, I, you know, you're teaching with Star Wars series over at StarWars.com. Um, you know, that I know I've talked about the earlier installments, you know, but the ones just over the past, uh, you know, two weeks or so, the, the Leah's leadership, that, that just went up a day or so, didn't it? Uh, today, or, yeah, this morning. Yeah. Uh, and likewise, Lando's choices. I mean, I really, you, you're doing such a nice job of finding real world you know, ways to get into to talking about these movies. I mean, they're, they're so well written. Well, thank you, sir. I really appreciate that. They're they're fun to write, and I feel like, you know, like with any good mythology, there are lessons in these old texts that apply to the world today. And I think there's just a lot of great stuff there. Okay, and and we were just talking earlier about you know uh, different books as part of the Star Wars publishing program. And I, I again, I don't have, don't want to keep underlying circling and ending here, but this seems like a book to me. It really does. You know, they're, they're all so well written and I, I'm hoping at some point somebody thinks to collect them. Um, I love it. Well, let, let Lucasfilm know. I'd be happy to do it. Okay. <laughs> all right. Now, I, in addition to, you know, your, your, your writing dues over starwars.com, so what's going on with, with Coffee with Kenobi these days? So this week we're going to publish our 350th show, 350, which is pretty great. And uh, if the stars align, we're going to have a really, really great guest from the films that's going to be on. So I, I'm looking forward to announcing that when that actually everything uh, lines up correctly. And on our Patreon show, our CWK profile, we're in the middle of our top 15 favorite movies of all time. We tried to steer clear of... Star Wars just to kind of open up the field a little bit, but of course, in my list, there's going to be some stars that's going to pop up. But uh, this weekend, we're going to have uh, movies six through ten. It's going to be fun. And while you're checking out stuff uh, on the, the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network side, we've of course got uh, Disney Dish, and Len has been working like a Trojan lately. He just again did that walkthrough of the. Um, uh the magic kingdom during the cast member preview day he and laurel also uh this past weekend uh, over the july 4th weekend checked out uh wilderness lodge and how it was after coming back from being closed since mid-march uh and of course we 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 have the wonderful drew taylor uh who i do the fine tuning show with and uh god this has been a crazy week for animation news we're gonna have a, a lot of stuff to talk about on the next show uh you know likewise aaron adams the gentleman who edits a lot of podcasts here 
Uh, he and I just did a, a brand new mud uh, that'll be dropping on Friday of this week. Um, oh, let's see, Dustin Fuse and I, in fact, just today, a, a brand new Universal Giant went up. Uh, we were talking about all of the, uh, you know, the weird new stuff that's going on at the, the, the Florida parks there. And sometime toward the end of this week, I'm finally going to get uh, I knew I want that out the door with Shelley Valladolid, but, uh, you know, I, I, there's this fascinating rumor that uh, one of the things that may wind up going down uh, as part of, you know, uh, the Disney company reinventing itself after the coronavirus is that we may see a number of the Disney stores around the country close. So, oh, wow which I hope is not the case because yeah, no I go to my local one and, and pick up a lot of uh, Star Wars related stuff there. Um, oh, speaking of, of, of Star Wars, of course, uh, if you could do, uh, you know, Dan and my, myself a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and not only rate and recommend Coffee with Kenobi, but also the podcast you're listening to here now, uh, looking at Lucasfilm uh, and, it, it, again, if you uh, you know want to hear those shows, the special Bandcamp exclusive shows that uh, Len is doing, uh, you should probably head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. Uh, meanwhile, though, Dan, just to keep tabs on 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 what you're up to, and and again, you're always on Twitter. I'm just amazed at the amount of of, of uh, you know stuff you post on Twitter. Where else can folks find you social media wise? Uh, well, social media, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Zer, M-R-Z-E-H-R. And then you can find Coffee with Kenobi on Twitter, Facebook, mm-hmm. Pinterest, Instagram, and YouTube. And also, I, you mentioned, Drew, and your your guys' is great fine-tuning all the animation news. This is probably a good time to announce that Drew and I are going to be the voice of Beavis and Butthead for the reboot. And it, depending <laughs> on the day, who is who the Butthead is, I guess. <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> break, nice to br- break a little news here. Okay. Yes. And, and, and we've got more news breaking. There's a phone ring in the background. Oh, so I should probably go agent. get that. But, um, <laughs> all right. Uh, before I go into the phone, we've got uh, Nancy would like me to remind you for us social media wise, uh, we have, um, what is it? Uh, Jim Hill. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media. And also on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. And I guess that's going to do it for now, Dan. But hopefully by the next time we record, uh, we'll definitely have some info about whether or not Oga's Cantina is serving alcohol. And, you know, uh, I guess we'll share that on the next show. <laughs>